0: I'm at my parents-in-law's house right now. We're with them for two weeks. And when would you have been able to do that for two weeks if you were working a nine-to-five in the U.S. when you get hopefully 14 days of vacation, right? Right. <laughs> Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Karshavski, and welcome to episode 153 of That Remote Life podcast. We're here from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals, so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today, I am so excited to be joined on the podcast again by my good friend, Chase Warrington, the head of remote at Duist and the host of the About Abroad podcast. Now, this was a wide-ranging conversation uh, with Chase, during which we explored a lot of different topics like traveling with a pet, why we've reached the age of long-term nomading, the appeal of van life, what Chase and mine's plans look for the rest of the year, and lots more. This was a super fun, random conversation with Chase about a lot of the different things that are going on in our lives, in at, during Doist with his podcast, my podcast, just a super fun conversation that I think you would really, really enjoy. Before we jump into that episode, though, uh, let me know, let Chase and I know what you think about this style of podcast. Do you enjoy just listening to the two of us shoot the shit? Because uh, we get a lot of downloads on these episodes, both on my podcast and Uh, Over on About Abroad because I've been on there a few times, but we want to hear from you. Let us know if you like this, because if you do, we'll do more of them. Uh, Tweet or Instagram message me or, you know, make a post about it uh, on Instagram. Just let us know. Uh, You can find me at Mitcoca. You can find uh, Chase at D.C. Warrington. So let us know if you enjoy this and we'll record uh, more of these episodes. Also subscribe to this podcast. If you haven't done so already, uh, you can just subscribe at any one of your favorite uh, podcasting apps, or if you are listening to this on Spotify, hit that follow button uh, and let me know what you think about it. Again, I'm on Twitter a lot these days. I'm really, really enjoying it over there. So find me at Mitkoka, M-I-T-K-O-K-A. And let me know what you think about this podcast in general. And if there are any topics that you'd like me me to explore in the future or any guests that you want me to bring on Uh, I'd love to I'd love to hear who you guys want me to bring on and also uh, of course uh, don't forget to subscribe to Remote Insider. Uh, that's my weekly newsletter where we cover everything going on in the remote and future of work worlds. Uh, I send that out every single Monday morning and people are really, really digging it. So if you're curious about why people are calling it mandatory subscription and reading for anyone interested in the future of work, and the remote movement, uh, definitely head over to thatremotelife.com forward slash remote insider and subscribe. But all right, you guys, without further ado, let's jump into this uh, very wide range of conversation with Chase Warrington. All right, uh, Chase Warrington. It's nice to it's nice to see
1: your face, dude. You're gonna make me say your whole name on it, like I got. I mean, you start off with Chase Warrington. I have to respond with Mitko Karshovsky, and that's that's a lot more challenging. That was
0: good, not too bad, huh? No, see, that was I, I was I was hoping this was a challenge, and I wanted to, you know, how like in podcasting you're supposed to like welcome like guests to make them feel comfortable. Anytime you're on, I'm just going to lead with like an uncomfortable like word that you have to pronounce. Or something.
1: <laughs> well, you, you started the challenge off well there. Uh, yeah. And I always struggle with the intro actually a little bit because I'm like, do we do like a formal intro? We've already been talking. No, uh, no I, I, you do. You do that very well. I took notes on your podcast on how to do that.
0: Oh, thank you. Well, OK, so we do need to recap something we were talking about before we hit record. I do want to talk about this because it's actually important and interesting please food consumption as a digital nomad. Mm. Here's why, here's why I'm, I'm, I, I, I want to start off with this. Uh, you're in France and we've, we were talking before we hit record about how we're both are, both of our weaknesses are chocolate croissants and that you've been eating a lot of them. And I was just in Guanajuato where I found a French bakery that had amazing chocolate croissants. And I just went balls to the wall, <laughs> right? Like I just ate it every single day here is why I think this is an interesting thing to comment on how do you manage that because when you're a digital nomad it's very easy to say oh I'm here on vacation I only have this for a certain amount of time but then whatever this is can change to different cities and you end up indulging constantly just maybe in a different thing do you have you ever thought about this or is it just like a me thing no where- dude
1: this is totally not a you thing I've I I overanalyze this all the time. And actually my wife and I talk about it a lot. We say like, you have to get out of vacation mode. Um, and it's especially hard right now. Cause like you said, like we've, we've just kind of like transitioned back into this nomadic lifestyle and every day feels a little bit like vacation, even though you've got work and the normal stuff. It's like, yeah, when I walk past the, the bakery there and they're like, Hey, we have poundage, I'll chuck a lot right in front of your face, you're like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm having one. I'm in France, but I'm going to be in France for six weeks. I can't do that every day. So I'm, uh, I'm really, yeah, I, I struggle with this and totally overanalyze it.
0: And then after France, you're going to go to Germany and it's going to be like beer every day. And then you're going to go to Italy and it's going to be like pasta every day. And then you come back and you're like 30 pounds heavier, you know, yeah. like it's...
1: Yeah, yeah, It does. It, it's not good for the, the waistline, that is for sure. But uh, it's a lot of fun. Actually, funny enough, you mentioned Germany. Like we're going back there to a place um, in the southwest of Germany called Freiburg. I don't know if you've been there before, but... Um, We went there, we spent some time there like several years ago and we just, we did exactly what you said. Like one of my favorite things in the world is a bratwurst and like a bratwurst and a beer in Germany is like heaven for me. But we were there for about a month and just gorged on bratwurst and and beers and then went home and we were like, Hey, you know, we've been talking about doing like vegetarian. Uh, we should try being vegetarian for a little while and just see if, you know, see how that goes. Like, it'd be a good time after having like 7,000 bratwursts. And, uh, and then, so we went back, became vegetarian. So that and I've been vegetarian ever since. So I haven't, uh, actually had one since then. So we're going to see how this goes. Oh my God. You're
0: vegetarian. <laughs> yeah. Our friendship is alive. Yeah. This is just, <laughs> um, this is insane. <laughs> um, but I, so one, one thing here. So when we first started nomading, I used to do something to help manage this, which was, uh, gosh, what was it? Beer, bread, or sweets. And you could only have one every day. And the other two you had to exclude. Because, like, then the idea was at least, like, you wouldn't drink beer and have bread. You just have a sweet. And then if you have a sweet, you wouldn't... You know what I mean? Because those are, like at least for me those are like my three weaknesses.
1: You get one out of the 3 or you get two out of the 3?
0: Yeah, you you get you get one out of the 3 oh, okay. every day. So like today it could be sweet, but then tomorrow it could be beer and like you kind of had to at least like you know, it gave you like an excuse to to not do those or kind of like a controlling factor. Um so that was that was interesting. But anyways, um enough about food. What are we um what do we want to talk about? today chase warrington what do you what do we want to start with (laughs) i uh i'm very curious
1: to hear about this new addition to your life and how this is gonna work out in the uh in the world of digital nomadism that you live in so i'm let's uh i don't know if people know but i mean you have you you have a kid now basically
0: yeah i have a we call him nomad pup his name is dexter we we adopted a dog um, and yeah, I mean it's a it's a pretty big step. I even had like when I said on on uh social media that we were gonna get a dog. I had some friends of mine that were, were like messaging and were like, hey, like, are you sure you want to do this? It's definitely gonna impact your life. And and I definitely agree with that. I guess like the so Sarah and I both grew up with dogs. We've both always said that we wanted to have a dog, but how to actually do this as nomads is obviously very difficult because in many ways, it's a lot easier for you to travel with a kid than it is with a dog. Like, it's, you know, like, with a kid, you just bring him on with a dog. There's, like, all these extra hoops that you need to jump through. Um, but the reason kind of – the reason why we decided to go for it was, A, Sarah was just like, we're doing it. Like, we're getting a dog. It's been too long. I want a dog. Whatever. You know, like, kind of, like, get with the program. Um, no, she was – we had a very long discussion about this um, to decide if it, if it was the right time. I'm just kind of making a joke. But – Um, from my point of view, the logical reason why we did this was, I think first when we became digital nomads, it was always this thing where it was like, how long is this really going to last? Like, like, you know, everybody was kind of constantly saying something along the lines of, well, when you settle down, right? Well, when you come back and you like enter quote unquote real life, that's when you could do something like that. But now we've reached this consensus where this is going to be our life going forward. Um, we don't really see a future in which we're not in some way nomadic, right? Maybe that doesn't mean changing locations every month, but for sure, we we will have home bases around the world, right? Um, and so because of that, if we want to have a dog and our reality going forward will be in some way nomadic then why are we delaying this and in from my point of view we're still in our 20s we still have energy right so let's figure this out now so that by the time we're older we kind of have it figured out um and so that was kind of the idea and i mean dexter is uh we were definitely very like we looked a lot at okay what are all the airlines that we use very often What are their restrictions on dogs? What do we need to make sure that we do when picking this dog so that the dog fits in our lives? Um, Sarah was like all over forums and like reading all the stuff. And so we picked Dexter very much with the idea of this dog needs to be able to travel with us. Um, So a lot of that has to do with size. Like it's like weight, uh, weight requirements, even though like airlines have this thing where the, the dog needs to be able to listen to this stand up in its carrier and then do a spin standing up in the carrier and i'm like what do you think this is like a circus animal like i can't tell my I, he barely listens to me to sit down he's not gonna like twirl for you in the pet carrier at the airport um but we hear that that's like a pretty like it's it's a byline and no one really follows it so uh but yeah that's kind of the the underlying thesis and an idea behind getting the dog
1: i think it's a smart route that you guys went I, I love the concept of like um folding it into the life like basically saying like at one point there was an end in sight or we thought that there would be an end in sight to this lifestyle like oh we're you know i'm gonna grow up or something and we're gonna have to settle down and then at that point we'll do this and that and all those things but i i think a lot of people like you and i are are in the same boat there we're We've more or less decided, like, no, this is just how I am going to live. There isn't an end, in, uh, that I am that I am working towards to to where I'll then start doing these things. I just need to figure out how to incorporate them now. That's a it's a better, uh, more mature way of going about it than I did. Uh, we we bought uh, we, when we were like we had like a home. We had our our like regular life back home. And then we got Coda, our dog, and then decided like very shortly after, like, actually, we don't want all this. We're going to travel and move around. And so before we know it, we're like shipping, like putting him in cargo on the way down to South America. And uh, he's a 50 pound Siberian Husky. (laughs) So that spin that he has to do in the crate, it has to be a really big crate. And uh It (laughs) becomes quite, quite a process and yeah. And every airline has their different like rules and regulations. And I remember we had one that was like, like we had this crate that was like a ridiculous, huge crate that we had lugged around to like multiple countries. And then we were going to fly on this, this one airline that was like, oh no, the air, this, we require that the bolts have black plastic caps and yours has like white plastic caps and i was like wait what and like we had to buy a whole new crate just because of like the caps on the bolts or something like that oh my it was God. just it's just crazy and like you know the people don't yeah you said like you know there's that sometimes it can be easier to travel with a kid than a dog like that can totally be true i mean there's so many regulations and shots and um, there's uh different uh what do you call them the the microchips like they have different types of microchips yeah. in different countries so It can be a lot, but, uh, but I think you would, right. You know, you got the smaller dog. You can, you can carry him on board with you. You got a lot more flexibility. So well done.
0: We got the, like the, the carrier, right. And the first one that we got was like the medium one, the one that we could like, for sure it fits. Right. And we, we put Dexter in there and I'm like, oh, that's not going to work. He didn't fit, you know, because he's a small dog, but he actually has like long legs, which is what we love about him because we're both big dog people and we didn't want like a you know, like a Pomeranian that has like, like nothing for legs kind of thing. And so, uh, we bought a bigger carrier and he fits in this bigger carrier, but then we measured it and it's like, it says it's TSA approved. And Sarah's like, it says it's TSA approved. It should be fine. And then I thought about it and I was like, TSA approved doesn't mean that it can fit on the planes. It just means that the TSA is like fine with it. Uh, and so it was like totally not okay for the limitations of the planes, So we're going to have to figure out now, um, how, and there's like different brands and stuff. So we'll, we'll figure something out, but it's been a, this was the idea was that we're going to be back in the U S now for, because, um, we have a bunch of friends that are getting married this summer. Uh, I guess we're at that age where all of our friends are getting married now. And like all the weddings are like perfectly spaced apart. um, And so we're going to be in the U.S. for six-ish months. So we have enough time to figure this out. We have enough time to travel with him in the car, which he's already great with. So he gets the idea of traveling and moving around. And we're going to be quite nomadic in the U.S. We're moving from my parents' house to Sarah's parents' house, where we are now, to then going up to uh, the north of Michigan, for a few weeks, we're gonna most likely go down to North Carolina, so we're gonna be moving around, and hopefully he'll kind of get the get the gist and, and build that muscle before we put him on a plane and go down to Mexico or you know Europe or wherever we go. So, by the way, I listened to our last episode that we did like this, and I said like so many times I wanted to shoot myself in the face. Like I wanted to go back in time. <laughs> Don't call attention so to I'm it now, there. man. <laughs> I'm it no the the glass is shattered. I hear it and I'm constantly now I'm trying to very much not say the word like so if you if I'm not speaking as quickly as I normally do, it's because I'm trying to be conscious about that.
1: Oh uh, well I've I'm here to help you get better, Mitko. That's uh I'm Thank I'm you. glad that that you know that conversation had some kind of uh benefit for you in the end. <laughs> but I didn't notice it was such that. a fun
0: conversation. It was such a fun conversation and I went back to listen to it and about fifteen minutes in I said I can't listen to this. This is, I I've, I've ruined this. I don't know how other people are listening to this, but I hate myself and I can't listen to this. So um, I'm I'm trying I'm trying very hard not to say like so many. Times.
1: Oh man! All right, um, we all we'll all shame you uh, every for every like you. you know shame shame.
0: I need it. I'll do a push up for every for every like. <laughs> um, but what was it? I was gonna say something else. Um, yeah, in terms of us realizing that we are not going to go back home and live a normal life. I think that has a lot to do with COVID because before COVID, there was this idea that the infrastructure was never going to develop enough for us to do this long-term. Eventually, the system was going to wear us down and we would, you know, all right, we're back. We're just going to live in the U.S. Um, But now the infrastructure, there's actually an end in sight. The infrastructure is developing. It will get there to the point where... I can foresee us long-term doing this um, and there being some easier way of doing it than all the hoops that we have to jump through now. And so I think that through COVID now on the other end of COVID and all the things that are that have happened over the last couple of years, it has really made that dream possible. A lot of people have realized, ourselves included, oh, wow, we can do this for the rest of our lives if we want to. And I think that's the big development that helped us really decide and and actually be able to say that verbally. Um, like, yeah, we're going to do this for, but I don't really see an end. For it, <laughs>
1: yeah. So. For dot, dot, dot. Um, dot, uh, dot, which dot, I love, yeah. I love that that's like become the normal, was there anything in particular like that when you say infrastructure, like anything that really kind of put your mind at ease or has, has set you guys up for success long-term that that's changed that you can think of, or is it just more a general sense?
0: I don't know if there's one particular thing and I might be going against me saying the infrastructure, but I do think to. I do think a part of it had to do with our family and friends sort of understanding this. Do you know what I mean? After COVID everyone kind of gets it. Remote work has entered the mainstream and before we almost always had to whenever we said that we wanted to do this it almost always sparked a debate or almost always sparked some sort of conversation of oh well when you have kids you're gonna settle down right or oh when well enjoy it while you're young because eventually you know this pipe dream is gonna go away and I don't know if it's that we wore down our family and friends enough (laughs) that they just don't want to have that conversation and I'm just a you know I think that that's the case, but I think most people have now at least to a certain point accepted that and realized that this is possible. I think it also has to do with making enough money that you aren't just like a, a broke backpacker who's living homelessly and people just assume, okay, well, when that gets tiring, you're just going to come back and get a real job like the rest of us. But you almost have to, you almost like earn your right. Does that make sense? Like you almost like say like, no, this is what we're doing. Look, I'm taking care of myself. I'm I'm paying taxes. I'm, I'm a real human being like you. I just do it this way. Um, so I don't know. I think, I don't know. Maybe it comes with, with time. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a big piece of it. And um, I think the like, just see, I'm saying like now, Jesus, oh, I'm in trouble. Um, <laughs> now I, we're gonna shame you. <laughs> I think that there is a, a really strong justification there. Because I, interestingly enough, like, I also had that question in my head, like, is there an end to this at some point or not? And do you know, should we be planning for the future? Or should we just be doing this temporarily? Uh, you have the, the always the thought in the back of your mind, like your parents—they're getting a little bit older. Or you should be closer to friends and family. You should be there for all the weddings and uh, graduations and births of kids and and all those things. And for on some level or another, it does feel like there is a better sense of, you know, no, this is this is okay. This is acceptable. This is this is the real life for many people out there. It's not just you being some weirdo that wants to, you know, run away and be in some other foreign land. It's it's a, a real life that that many people are living. And so that being brought to the mainstream might have just justified it for a lot of people, whether consciously or subconsciously. I know there's a little bit of a level of that for me. Um, and, and even with my move to Spain, you know, I've, I've been in Spain now for almost five years. It was a one year deal at first. I'm just going to go there for one year and be there. And then, well, okay, let's renew it. We really, we were planning on going back at the end of one year. And we said, no, okay, we'll renew it. Well, which was a two year renewal. And we thought we'll just use one of those two years and then we'll go back. And, and so now we've been there five years and it took us this long to get to the point to say like, no, let's just let's just stay uh, where we had the conversation with the family and say, you know, this is, this is what we're going to do for right now. And I don't know what the, where the end is. We're not putting that time cap on it anymore. And so that's come about yeah. for me as well.
0: But do you think on the family front where you said spending more time with family and friends, do you think you spend less time with them now that you're remote? Because, and this may be different for you since you are in Spain full time or you were in Spain full time, Uh, we feel like we spend more time with family now than we did when we were working full-time jobs because like, yes, that time might be the time that you spent with, with family might've been a bit more spread out over the year. But if you look at it in terms of number, numbers of days that you spend time with them, we are able to spend way more time. For example, I'm at my parents-in-law's house right now. We're with them for two weeks and when would you have been able to do that for two weeks if you were working a nine to five in the US when you get hopefully 14 days of vacation, right? <laughs> right? So there is this, um, and I think even like our families realize that because at first there was a little bit of this pushback in terms of um, they want us to go travel, but they also understand that means they're going to see us less. But then in when we actually started living this way, it took about a year and then they realized like, Oh, wait, now you're going to come here and work remotely and we can see more of you. And then there was a, and that's, that was something that I didn't even realize at first. So it was almost like a, like a secondary side benefit. Um, And, you know, like my parents have come to visit me in Mexico, which has been super fun. I've had friends come visit me uh, in Mexico, which is really great or in Bulgaria. Right. And so you almost like make time for those events. I don't yeah. know. Have no, you had the same experience or no? I
1: would I would say if there was some like really nice formula that we could work out, maybe we can we can do this off air sometime and really try to quantify this. But if I could do the like the quantity times quality, I think the outcome of that equation would be a higher number than what it was before. So I probably got more time, more FaceTime um, previously, but I I would say the. The quality of that time is so much greater now. So my my parents are planning a trip to come visit, and they're going to spend two weeks here or something like that, and like we're going to get like really great quality time with them. Um, I was just I went back and spent a couple weeks in the U.S. a few a few months ago, and like it was really good quality time. So the frequency might be a little bit less um, in my case, uh, but w- but what you're saying makes perfect sense. But I do think the ultimate outcome is actually a higher figure. So. I think it's, a. I do, I do see that it's like a net positive and I think they they see that as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's talk about, so you're, I got a dog, you've had a dog, but now you're back on the road with the dog and, and, and the family. So how, how has that shift been, you know, going from having an apartment in Valencia to now officially not having an apartment again?
1: Yeah, it's honestly, it's been awesome. Um, and, and I was kind of nervous about it. I, w- I wasn't really craving it. Uh, but you know, for some context, like we were traveling for years with our dog, he's 10 now. And, um, and so he's crisscrossed the Atlantic and the equator multiple times and lived in a bunch of different countries. And we, we haven't been in any one place for more than two years, I would say since we were 18. Um, so like. It's a lot of time where we haven't been in one place. So we were in Valencia for four years, which after four years felt like, wow, this has been a really long time, but it also felt like home and we were pretty settled there. Um, but I give my, my wife a lot of credit cause she was really pushing us like, Hey, let's just get out let's travel some, You know, it's great here, but there's lots of great places. Let's, you know, we came here with this mentality of being here for a short period and then moving on and we never did that. So let's, let's get back to that. And I sort of reluctantly went, went along with it. Um, but it was just like, okay, could be worse things. And and now I'm just absolutely loving it. It feels totally like I'm in my element, Um, just traveling around. We're spending four to eight weeks in a bunch of different places for the rest of the year. So currently in the south of France, we're in this beautiful area, which like, I don't know if people do. Okay. Let me, did you, do you, when you think of Catalonia, do you think of France or do you think of just Spain or do you kind of subconsciously know that it's in both?
0: So when you say Catalonia, I think just Spain, but I know that like the south of France and the north of Spain are. Right. I mean, like right up on each other. But no, when you say Catalonia, I think of
1: Spain. Yeah. So this, I think I think this is like the normal thing people think of, and you may subconsciously kind of know that it bleeds over into into France, but I'm in this, I'm in French Catalonia. Um, and just like fallen in love with this area. It's amazing. The Pyrenees run right into the Mediterranean. Um, so you've got these, like literally you're laying on these beautiful Mediterranean beaches, looking up at these big, huge green mountains that, that very literally just drop right into the ocean. There's all these like really cute little villages, like very Mediterranean French style villages, um, up and down the coast, really nice people. And it's got that, like, spain catalonia like like spain france mix um that's that's really it's really nice really polished really well organized you got pan chocolate pan croissants uh chocolate croissants everywhere and then you also have like you know really nice people tapas bars lively atmosphere um so yeah i mean it's just been super fun to be here meeting people kind of feeling uh, feeling like a local in a lot of ways, because you're here for long enough to get that feeling to know, you know, walking down the street and see people that, you know, um, but also feeling like you're in a new and exciting place every day. Uh, so it's been it's been amazing. And I'm, I'm super excited about what the rest of the summer has has ahead of us. We've, we've settled into the the we've resettled into this lifestyle really well, I think.
0: Yeah. And I love that, uh, the, the mountain and sea where they come together. That's why we really like Puerto Vallardo is because you had a lot of that, right? Like it's literally the mountains just falling into the, into the sea. And, and I love that. So where's the, and you're driving the van, right? Like you're not flying.
1: Yeah, correct. So we're, that's one of the things like we are, our, our first dipping our toe in the uh, camper van world was because of Coda. Like we did not want to travel with him on a plane, because it was just too much with all the the crates. I think it was after that story I told earlier where there was like, dude, we're not buying another crate for, you know, because of black bolt caps. So let's buy a camper van instead and we'll drive across. It's probably
0: stressful (laughs) for him as well, right? (laughs) It it is. Like being put in the crate and yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's like not a good experience. They go underneath the plane and it's, you know, they're like shipped like cargo and it's, it's not good. So we're like, oh, let's try this with a camper van. We had a horrible experience with our first camper van, but we it's funny because we bought it because of Coda um, in a lot of ways. And uh, and then so now we're kind of going back and doing this again. We've got a bit much better camper van now. We reinvested in a in a high quality one, and we're yeah we're traveling across Europe, but we're not staying in the van the whole time. We're traveling for like one to two weeks in the van, and then a month, four to eight weeks in an Airbnb. And that's yeah. kind of the cadence, and it, it's it's working out really nicely.
0: So I think this is the the home base thesis that we've talked about before, where in my perfect world, right, Sarah and I have a place, or we at least have picked a city in Mexico that we really like, and that we know we can go back there and and get a and get like an apartment. We kind of have some things maybe set aside. We have a property in the United States that is, you know, maybe somewhere in the city. But then my new thought, now that we have a dog, is to have a van. I've been, and maybe this is going to change in a month, but I've gone down, even Sarah commented to me the other day, like, you've really gone down the van life thing again. Because this happens several (laughs) times a year. It's like I get the van cold and I'm sick for a few weeks and then I kind of move on. But I really think... Because I went down the rabbit hole of Westphalias, you know, the Volkswagen Westphalias, because you can, I wouldn't live in them full time like people do with these like Mercedes Sprinter vans and stuff. But it's something where you could very feasibly be in there for a few weeks, maybe a month, and then go to, you know, an Airbnb, like you're saying, Um And my new idea is, and Dennis, you may have Dennis as my uh, editor, you may have to bleep this out because I want this to be a secret location, but the, um, my brother-in-law found this, uh, ability to buy property there within kind of like a, a community, but very close to the lake. And it's not that expensive. It's like 15 grand for a property and you can't build, you can't like camp on there or van life there. You have to build something if you want to live there because it's kind of a community. They want to keep it a little bit nicer. But what he told me is the trick they're doing is they're building these pole barns. Do you know what a pole barn is? No, what is that? It might be like a Midwest thing. A pole barn is basically like a toy barn that you put a loft into at the top. So you have, imagine if you're you're living by a lake, you have like your boats and your jet skis, but then above it, you have like a little apartment. And you can build that, and they'll let you live on there. So my thought is, you have that pole barn with the with the loft there, and then when you're ready to go to another country, you park the van under it. But then when you come back, you have the van, so you can see the Americas in Canada. It's the current. It's the current. You know, I like. Version of I this. like
1: this. I like this. So okay, so you could you could be you could do some traveling around the U.S. and Canada. You could do like North America in the van. Uh, As much as you'd want. And then also have your home base in the Upper Peninsula. Beautiful part of the world. Great place to come back to. Uh, But then keep traveling. like Just leave it there. Probably escape winters, I'm imagining, right?
0: Yeah, I think the move is... So, And you know Andrew Henderson from Nomad Capitalist? Yeah. So, when he was on the podcast, he talked about his... He has this idea of doing three months in a specific location. With a month in between each of those so that you can kind of go see a new place. Okay. And I think there's a move there where we do summers in Europe, winters in Mexico, but then you have spring and fall, which I think are particularly lovely in the United States. Mm-hmm. And then you do like travel around the U.S. or Canada in those periods.
1: Ah, it sounds pretty idyllic, man. Yeah. Um... I think the, uh, the van life bug might've caught you at the right time.
0: It's unfortunate because all <laughs> I need is a toy to play with and obsess over. And I'm one of these, like my dad has it with boats yeah. and I guess I don't have, a, I mean, I like boats, but
1: are you handy? You know, like, are you, not, uh, are you, a, like, are you a gearhead at all? Do you like getting under the hood?
0: Hmm. I'm a gearhead when it comes to tech and like backpacks for whatever weird thing. Like I love backpacks, but when it comes to cars, absolutely not. I'm just not interested in, in being covered in oil, but if it's my own van that like makes me excited maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, the funny
1: thing is, is I'm not. And so it's, it's a bit problematic because (laughs) being in the, uh, in the van life world, like we're traveling around. I mean, I've had more conversations with, I was just at a French mechanic the other day and we're like trying to talk. He's, he spoke a little bit of Spanish, but no English. And I speak no French, but he can speak Spanish. So we're like communicating back and forth in like really bad Spanish. And Google Translate, try and like. I'm just trying, like, dude, is my battery dead or not? I don't know. And so, it would be very helpful. Very like, we've had a lot of these conversations with mechanics in lots of different countries, and I'm always like, really should get better at this, but it's just not my thing and uh and so you want to get your battery
0: you want to get your battery replaced but you show up and he's replace your transmission yeah (laughs) exactly
1: like i'm pretty sure i've been taken over a few times uh you know uh, in some pretty bad ways but i actually funny story uh like traveling through france i mentioned the the bad camper van experience this was years ago we were traveling through france we'd had a we'd broken down like 14 times we ended up on a tow truck 14 it's like ton of times on a tow truck and the last one the french mechanic was not really speaking english very well and he was just like uh you should kick shit in river and go home (laughs) and (laughs) and it was like all right uh we've reached uh we've reached the end of this trip um so anyway (laughs) yeah yeah. it would be it would be great if i like i would suggest you know Adopting some um, some some gearhead mentality if you're going into the camper van world. In retrospect,
0: uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll definitely look into that. But um, let's chat a little bit about um, remote work because you just came back from running remote in Montreal, uh, and I think there are some some. I feel like since the last time we talked, remote has like jumped a little bit. I don't know why. I just think it's moving so quickly that there's constantly new developments happening right so um what were just what happened at running remote what were some of your favorite top takeaways and uh yeah let's just shoot the shit when it comes to remote cuz People came on here to to hear about remote work and digital nomadism, and we've been talking about so far about what like chocolate pastries Is staying say, like life. too much and and man life. Yeah.
1: These are bad bullet points. Uh, if anybody's still listening, uh, thank you, and uh, we'll try to give you something worthwhile now.
0: You know, there's one person listening who we just hit all of his check boxes. Yeah. So like they're like, that's what I'm into. Five yeah.
1: stars. Five stars. Yeah. Um, no. So I mean. I don't know how to not be cheesy about this, but running remote was really special. It was it was a really, really Mm -hmm. amazing experience. Um, And especially for bringing together a bunch of people who are passionate about remote work for to be able to say that actually coming together and in one place and being, you know, in real life co located, whatever word you want to use, like it was awesome. Uh, We had we had a lot of fun, I learned a lot, uh, met so many really inspiring people and Um, had some just incredible conversations. There was really good. I was talking about this with like the, uh, with the organizers of the event, there was really good content. Like you could sit there and just absorb tons of great content from people. They had two stages going at any given time and CEOs, lecturers, consultants, journalists, um, leaders in various areas of, of business talking about how to make remote work work at a really high level. Um, but the the setting that aside I could have shown up and not gone to any of that and it would have been totally worth the investment and the uh in the trip because the conversations that you had just casually sitting over breakfast talking with someone and just the things that you would learn along the way um was incredible so I mean tons of high level takeaways we can go real deep in a bunch of different nerdy ways but like very very high level that's that was my my takeaway it was it was an amazing event
0: was there anything that surprised you in terms of, you know, going, maybe there was some, some content or some conversation or presentation that you walked away saying something of the sort of like, wow, I hadn't thought about that. Or that's kind of a surprising takeaway or a surprising conclusion.
1: There, there were a lot, honestly, like one of the things that jumped out at me that was really kind of fascinating um again kind of high level but i i took away from talking with a lot of leaders that they're still trying to figure it out and when seemingly on the surface they it appears that they've got it all figured out and and that was true Mm. both ways like i had people saying things to me as if we had things figured out at Doist, and it and in my mind i'm like oh we've got a V one of that like we're we're just trying to we're we're still trying to figure out what to do with that, and um, and so it was really interesting to kind of break down these barriers. Like we're we're all building these brands, and there's these personas that are out there that seemingly have everything buttoned up and very polished. And when you sit down and get into the weeds of it with them, you realize we're all just try, still trying to figure this out. There's a there's a lot of gaps that that can still be filled, and that was pretty. I think that was pretty exciting because. We're already making it work pretty well. So it tells you like, wow, the the sky's the limit. We can do a lot here.
0: I think what's interesting there is if you guys add Doist as one of the, I mean, I would say most famous remote first companies, you guys have for a long time talked about remote first, remote first, even before COVID. If you guys and a bunch of other remote first companies that were at running remote, feel that way where you're still kind of putting it together imagine companies that just entered remote a year or two ago that do not have the same um you know focus on remote that you guys do imagine how they're feeling right because my experience in in speaking with friends now who are working at at uh, companies that have become remote post covid is that they're sort of running things as they used to before but just from home and they are duct taping it together with zoom (laughs) well said yes (laughs) because and i'll give you a, a specific conversation about this is i was i was talking with a friend who was visiting us and she said uh that they were part of a seven hour zoom meeting a few weeks ago a seven hour 35 person zoom meeting because they were launching a project and she was very um proud of that because she was the one that led it, and it was like this she said like i managed to 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 do that right like I managed to launch a project with this and my and I was like excited for her and i I was very you know happy that she that she felt proud and accomplished with that, but at the back of my head, I had this thing of like you know that there could have been probably a better way to do that, but the issue is that even if there was how do you implement that in a company that just doesn't want to hear it and they're just gluing it and duct taping it together with, with Zoom, right? So I think there has to be a lot of education done on that front still in a in the non-remote first world. So,
1: so this was one of the other big surprises. Like this would be number two behind what I just said a minute ago is that there's still so many people out there that are trying to piece this together using old practices. So just replacing the 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 in-office lifestyle and the tools and the best practices, and then just entering them into the virtual world. I love that, like duct taping it together with zoom. I had, I mean, the, the whole idea behind running remote is really to educate people. It's not for thought leaders and th- not for the remote first companies that are already doing it to, to necessarily, it's more, it was built originally to help people that are, that are wanting to transition to remote and teach them how to do it. It just was set up before covid and you know all of a sudden the the need for this exploded so the the desire to learn these things uh exploded as well so um talking with the people there that were there for that reason you know I've talked with you know just just as a figurative person talked with John who said you know I've got a company with we're 30 people we were originally in the office now we're spread across uh you know four different countries and a couple different time zones and I literally don't know what I'm doing I'm here to figure that out. Like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and I had plenty of those conversations with people. And it was just amazing to hear, you know, a lot of us tend to think that, oh, it's come really far, all these new tools, all these new ideas, um, come more and more companies doing it. But there really are still a ton of companies that are just totally trying to figure it out, like from the very ground level. And, um, and so that was kind of surprising as well, because I think we live in a little bit of a bubble where, We're just hearing the echo chamber of people who are doing this already pretty well. Um, And so that dichotomy was really interesting, right? Like the two things I just pointed out that really surprised me were one, all these thought leaders, all these companies that everybody looks up to, they're they're all trying to figure stuff out still too. And then there's all these other companies who I thought, you know, I thought the floor had been risen a little bit more than it was. And there's a lot of people there who are saying, I literally don't know what I'm doing. So those two things were really surprising for me.
0: It's funny because uh, I've played with the idea of doing some sort of remote work consulting before for for companies. I know we, we've talked about this before offline, mm-hmm. but I've always had this hesitation around that. Where it's okay, well, the, the book's already written on this. Everybody knows how to do this. What would I contribute to this? And it has, you know, the truth is that even the a companies who are just getting into this still don't know what they're doing, and b companies that have been doing this for a while. Even they, in some ways, don't quite know what other companies are doing. Because I think this is interesting, Um, you know, having worked in the agency world before, I believe, especially when it comes down to, for example, uh, I'll explain how this relates, but when it comes down to, like, paid ads... I think the best way to do it isn't to hire an agency to do the the paid ads for you. It's to have somebody internal who runs those paid ads for you. But then you work with an agency that is working with multiple clients that can come from that point of view that says, hey, based on the industry, here's what's working for these other people. Here's what other people have tried that hasn't worked. So they kind of bring that. Wide knowledge, but then you have one person who implements it, and I think that that might be the future of remote as well, where you have one head of remote who is sort of running internally and very personally within the company, but then you have somebody who is seeing what everyone else is doing, like oh this worked for this company, this didn't work for this company, and that is bringing that knowledge, uh you know, and, and maybe you know that comes from a a place like running remote, but I think that that might be. I think this world of sort of remote consulting could benefit from that model from the agency world.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you, man. And one thing that was really interesting is like I hosted a panel which was like, Do you need a head of remote? And it was myself and then three other heads of remote, Darren from GitLab and Stephanie from Cargo One and Sam Fisher from Okta. And we all three, we all four represented totally different styles, like all remote companies, distributed companies, I should say. Um, But like Sam, for instance, is 7,000 people and they're very hybrid. They, and they believe in a lot of synchronous activity and they do business very differently than me on the other end of the spectrum with a hundred people and totally remote first. And what was really interesting was, I mean, we all had different ways about, of, of like how we go about doing our work and how we approach remote work and the rules and what we think is is good and bad and you know what works for us and to various degrees we have success and failure with with different things but that's that's what was fascinating is that we all had with four different people with pretty much the same title at four different totally different companies of different sizes, different distributions, different purposes with totally different practices and tools. And so there's no one way to go about doing this. So getting back to your point, like if you think that you have any value in this, you probably have 10 times more than you actually do because everybody's looking for a way to do it. And there's no one way to go about doing this, this remote thing. And so I think we are on a path to where with this like head of remote job or remote lead role will be something exactly like what you said, sort of looking outward, taking what everybody else is doing, digesting it, figuring out how can we use that in our organization to up level what we're already doing. So hopefully we'll we're working towards that instead of just like putting out fires and like, okay, how do we do this? Um I think we're going in that direction.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm very excited because I think we've only just I think we've only just begun. I still think there is so much It needs to be built out in the infrastructure and in the, uh, I mean, I think events are going to be huge over the next five years as people exit COVID and want to see people and they want to, um, you know, maybe you've been in a company where you haven't been able to get together in a while. So how do we get together and, you know, what sort of opportunities do we have for that? I think it's going to be very, uh, very interesting in the future, but um, I know that you got to run uh, soon, I know that you have a, a hard out, but is there anything that we haven't talked about that uh, we should chat about? And before we jump into that, um, folks, if you're listening to this and you're like, "Hey, this is fun. I want to hear more of this," let us know because Chase and I are kind of—we um, uh, don't know if you like <laughs> if you like this or not, or if we should not do these sort of shoot the shit conversations anymore. I mean, Chase and I really like it, so we might just continue selfishly it, we're going to continue. We would love- yeah. <laughs> But we would love to know if you guys enjoy this uh, as well, because I'm trying to convince Chase to do uh, a Twitter space with me on some amount of regularity. So if you guys would like to hear us do that, yeah, uh, I'm putting Chase on the spot. Yeah, here, but I'm glad that you did. Let us
1: know. I'm glad that you did, man. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, and, and do let us know, because I would love to know if I get a little bit of uh, feedback that that would be enjoyed then I'm I'm definitely on board I'm already like mostly on board so
0: I'm sandwiching this episode with putting pressure on you by uh, pronouncing my, my last name and then being on Twitter spaces I'm just like sandwiching this I'm, conversation I'm not
1: gonna I mean I'm not gonna lie I think I kind of crushed both of them so um you, know. <laughs> you
0: you I think you you crushed it I was uh, I saw a little bit of pause but you nailed it so
1: yeah <laughs> you one one of the things I think is really important interesting that also came from running remote and that you just touched on so it's like a perfect segue is the events aspect which we we talked about this before but that is so interesting because it's going to become such a big part i'm specifically talking about like the company retreat idea offsites company retreats this this whole idea this whole concept is about to just be it's the next level of remote teams distributed teams of any size or shape are going to have to get really good at these. Um, and, and not just like doing them, you know, and, and not just doing them frequently or anything like that. It's like being really, really good at doing your offsites because not only is it going to mm-hmm. be critical to the way the, the company functions, but also it's going to be a way to attract talent and retain talent. It's going to become a, a big piece of the pie for companies. And I think, That's something that was really clear to me that, that, uh, it came, it kind of came to me in two different ways. One being at a running remote event surrounded by a bunch of remote thought leader, people who were all so stoked to be together. (laughs) It's kind of like a weird Mm. dichotomy, but then, and, and we were all saying like, we're just getting so much from this. Um, you know, we, 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 we need to have this more often. This is great. And then also coming at it from the angle of hearing from my team and people who I'm working with closely, I'm managing all of our retreats and co-located events now and seeing how those are, how impactful they are for our team and the people that I'm talking to at other companies who are crafting these and the thought that's going into them, it's all going next level. And I, and I see that really scaling up. Um, so it'll be interesting to watch that space
0: in general. Yeah, I think there's so many opportunities in that that I don't know what to do. Do you know what I mean? There's so many. Where I, there's so many things that can be done that I mean, for, I mean, I am very interested in doing, but there's like so many that I don't know which ones to do. And we've talked about this in the past as well. And it's just, I think more people need to be, to realize how much opportunity there is in this space. Because if you're right now somebody who's listening to this and is thinking, I want to be location independent. I want to be, quote unquote, a digital nomad. <clears throat> I'm interested in this space, but I don't know what to do. There are so many things that you could do in this space because like we talked about, like 20% of the infrastructure is built out and 80% of it is still out there. And you just need 1% of that landscape to claim as your own to, to have a really great business. And something that um you know I was going to ask you before we, we wrap up is how does somebody become a head of remote because at the moment it seems like, you know, there's no, it's not like you can go to school for it. Uh, As far as I know, there's really no courses or anything like that that you can do. There's a lot of books out there on how to work remotely, but it almost seems like, you know, I'm very big on the future of work is going to be entrepreneurial in nature. And it almost to me, it seems like the head of remote position is the first position that kind of embodies that because in order for you to become the head of remote, You almost need to plant the flag and say, I am an expert in remote work. I'm learning on it. I'm creating content about it and brand yourself as that. You you almost have to sell yourself as that in order to get a job or a position or a consulting gig as that. Does that sound accurate or am I missing some more, um, is there like an easier path that I'm perhaps missing to be recognized enough? as an expert in that field in order to get hired by a company.
1: Yeah, I think there's so few of these these opportunities out there. There's only so many companies hiring for this type of role, so there is it's a very niche skill set that they're looking for, and I think there's two different styles of head of remote that companies are are wanting. They're wanting someone who's sort of an, an external advocate who can who can plant that flag and say, you know, we're a company that is all about remote work, and that's important to our brand identity, to our employer identity, to to the perhaps the products that we sell. Being remote first helps aid those products. So being that vocal mouthpiece is is one thing, and then there's like the change agent, um, you know, remote work advocate internally who's going to implement processes and practices and tools and change the whole culture of the way uh, a company's working, or at least pull some pretty big levers internally. Um, so figuring out which one of those two buckets you fit into is probably a pretty good starting point and and perhaps it's both in my case it is both i'm literally my job description is 50 50 um, one or the other so I'm, I'm splitting my days between those two areas but if if most companies are focused mostly on one or the other and so building your personal brand around that uh, whichever whichever one really speaks to your skill set i do think is an important part i mean I think that's It kind of has to start there because there's a lot of, you know, quote unquote, remote work experts out there now, and you have to really differentiate yourself in that space. But, um, we talked about this a lot on that panel discussion with the other heads of remote. And so actually a great starting point would be to find that, that link on YouTube, the running remote channel on YouTube, uh, they've got it posted there. And the, the panelists from, from that panel gave some awesome answers to this exact question. So um, they can, they can explain it a lot more in depth than I can, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, I don't think you're simplifying it too much at all.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll have a oh, I'm sure we'll find that link in, and post in the show notes, but, um, in wrapping up anything that we didn't touch, touch base on that, that we wanted to, to talk about,
1: I, I did want to hear more about your, uh, like what you guys are doing there in the U S but I feel like we touched on it a little bit and, um, but I just I would love to know a little bit like what's the quick bullet points on what exactly you're doing uh, and where you're staying over the next couple months before you hit the road again.
0: Um, so we are going to be bouncing between Michigan and Ohio, uh, just between like my family's house and then Sarah's parents' house. We are going to spend a few weeks throughout the summer in the UP at some. Um, a uh, lake house that some family friends of ours have. We are most likely going to go down to North Carolina to see our friends and in and, Ian and Caroline at some point. Um, but outside of that, I mean, really we're kind of sandwiched between between weddings and with the things that were happening in in Ukraine. I was a little bit concerned about going back to Europe and I just, it, it, when we had to make these decisions, it was at a point where I I just didn't have enough information and we had enough things happening in the united states where we just decided and we're getting a dog so we're like let's just stay in the u.s this summer um but outside of that excitingly at the end of the summer in like october our plan is to go back to mexico and most likely start our the process to get our residency there um and then the end goal is to actually get an apartment you know, like midterm apartment in Queretaro in, uh, in Mexico, uh, which we really fell in love with when we were there. Um, it was, uh, Queretaro is like, um, like two hours away from Mexico city. So it's in that like triangle of, you have, um, you almost have in the direct line, you have Mexico city, Queretaro, uh, San Miguel de Allende, which is very popular for expats. And then, uh, Guanajuato and it's almost there almost all an hour and a half to 2 hours away from each other um and we haven't been to San Miguel de Allende but from what we hear it's a really great place to visit it doesn't quite, quite sound like my kind of place to to live for a little bit longer we really like Guanajuato but Long term, it's not a super comfortable place to live just because of the way that the city's laid out. Mm. But we went to Queretaro and it's like, it's awesome. It has all the benefits of Mexico City. It's a very big city with all the stuff that you need there, but it's not 22 million people. Um, and it's, uh, it's a super fun spot because it's got like tons of like coffee shops, cafes. We found an incredible co-working space called Crow with a K. It's the best co-working space I've seen in Mexico outside of like a WeWork. Wow. Um, and it's very, I think it's like a hundred bucks a month. So I'm very excited to, to go work there. So, um, yeah, nice. uh, we'll be there October, November through the winter. most
1: likely. Oh man. Well, we'll have to catch up again when you, when you get down there, I would love to talk about that on about abroad, get a little more, uh, in depth on, on the new location. Cause that sounds pretty sweet and, and a place that I've never heard of before.
0: I'm i uh, I'm always down, man. <laughs> Any excuse to, to, to chat is always fun
1: awesome awesome well uh, I look forward to it man thanks for uh, thanks for organizing this always good to catch up with you I, I enjoy it and I, I hope at least one person out there did as well well um, if so that gives us an excuse to do it again we just need one.
0: Yeah. And, and but bef- okay, before we wrap up where, uh, since we haven't, des- I think this is going on both of our podcasts. So, uh, for people who are listening online, where, where can they find you online? I know you're, you're pretty big on LinkedIn and Twitter these days. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so d- first, first and foremost to about abroad.com, um, for the, uh, anything that has to do with the, the podcast It's also available everywhere you get your podcasts. So, um, search about abroad, and on LinkedIn is where I'm mostly talking about remote work stuff. So you can find me, uh, by searching chase Warrington, Twitter is DC Warrington, Instagram, DC Warrington. Um, and, uh, and yeah, likewise also drop, drop those, uh, links. Cause we are putting this on both
0: uh yeah the if you're listening on about abroad uh thatremotelife.com forward slash uh podcast is where you can uh, find the podcast i have a newsletter that i've been doing for a few months that i'm uh, very excited about so if you're into remote work if you're into the digital nomad lifestyle and you want to stay up to date on that uh head over to thatremotelife.com forward slash remote insider it's been one of the more surprising things that i've done because people really like it it's and awesome and i wasn't it's not why are you surprised I think, man it's awesome i, I read it because it was it was just this thing that i was doing on the side and then i stopped doing it because i thought no one was like reading it and i started getting emails from people saying like hey where are these emails i really liked reading them and i was like oh i had no idea so uh that's uh you know i'm focusing on that way more so if you're into that like i said thatremotelife.com forward slash remote insider and then yeah i'm Way bigger on Twitter these days. It's maybe my most active social media. And I'm at Mitkoka there. M-I-T-K-O-K-A. Awesome. Awesome, man. So uh that's it.
1: Great stuff. Always uh, cool, a pleasure, man. my friend. Always a
0: pleasure. <laughs>